This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. This Valentine's Day, give your special someone a gift they will never forget. Midnight Marinara is a surefire way to give your loved ones a thrill they will never... Oh, Valentine's Day is over? Hmm. Well, better late than never. No matter how you feel about Valentine, or the day that celebrates him being viciously torn apart by lions, welcome to the show. As is sometimes the case, we like to occasionally look to the past for inspiration and dig up a classic recipe for horror. This is a treat if you've never heard the story before, and a well-remembered narrative of the macabre for others. Tonight's play is a tale of gossip and how it crosses generations. Though the old pass away and trade places with the young, sometimes the topic refuses to die, especially when the topic is a woman who would not change with time. We present for you William Faulkner's A Rose for Emily. Well, well, here's our Nelly. I thought I might find you here, Mr. Clark, Mr. Kirkwell. How are you? Fine enough, Miss Capshaw. Fair day for a funeral as any. Supposing there's any fair time for a funeral. True enough. I didn't mean to seem callous. But it seems like the whole town turned out for it. I don't think I've ever seen all of Jefferson gathered in one place like this before, even for a fair. Well, it's not every day you see off someone like Miss Emily Grissom, you know. Indeed. It was like bidding farewell to a fallen monument. She was a part of this town that no one can replace. Funny you say that, seeing that she hadn't left the old house in, God, decades? I know the last time I saw her was when I was a little girl. She used to offer up china painting lessons in a little studio she set up in there. I must have been among the last students because I was usually alone. That was around, um, 1920, I think. I only went for a year before my mother stopped forcing me to go. Huh, you're in a rare group then. I'll bet you most of the women here came out of curiosity to see the inside of the house. No one's been in or out of it except that old Negro manservant of hers for at least ten years. Now, I could vouch for that. Actually, Nellie, I was just going to tell Mr. Cookwell here how I may have been one of the last people to set foot in Miss Emily's house. No, really? This I gotta hear. Well, you know about the tax remissions, right, Mr. Cookwell? Huh. I remember when it happened, actually. Miss Emily became, aw, how should I say, a sort of hereditary obligation on this town back in 1894, just after her father died, mind. 
Colonel Sartorius was mayor at the time, and decreed her taxes waived into perpetuity. Not that Miss Emily would have accepted charity. <laughs> Colonel Sartorius came up with this involved cockamamie story that Miss Emily's father had loaned money to the town, which the town, as a matter of business, preferred this way of repaying. So, this carried on until around 1928, when the new board of aldermen realized this wasn't satisfactory. At the time, I was just a clerk, but I saw most of it happen as letters and documents went past my desk. On the first of the year, they mailed her a tax notice. February came, and there was no reply. They wrote her a formal letter, asking her to call at the sheriff's office at her earliest convenience. Still nothing. A week later, the mayor wrote her himself, offering to call her to send his car for her, and received in reply a note to the effect that she no longer went out at all. The tax notice was also enclosed without comment. What happened? They called a special meeting of the board. It then put together a deputation to go call on her, which I was a part of, by the way. Now, I remember thinking how strange it was to be heading out there to see this enigma of a woman. All shut up in her old decaying house with spires and cupolas poking over the garage and cotton gins that took over the street. It used to be a pretty select street. Now only Miss Emily's house remains. Oh, yeah. I remember walking to it as a girl, an eyesore among eyesores. Exactly. Anyway, we approached and knocked on the door, and the old negro led us in. The whole place was pretty dim and shadowy, and it smelled dusty and dank inside. We were led into a parlor with heavy leather-covered furniture. When the negro opened the blinds of one window, we could see that the leather was cracked, and when we sat down, the dust puffed up, almost sluggishly. Slowly, if you will. There was even a crayon drawn of Miss Emily's father at an easel above the fireplace. I remember that, too. We saw it over Miss Emily's beer at the service. So it wasn't long until Miss Emily entered, and we all stood up as she did. I don't rightly recall why. It was like a reaction. Was she still tiny and fat? I remember that from my lessons. She scared me a little. Yep, and all dressed in black, too. She walked with a cane with a tarnished gold head. She looked... bloated. Almost like... like a body, long submerged in water. And pallid, too. I also remember her iron-gray hair. It was the kind of color I'd only seen on a man before. No wonder she spooked me as a child. Well, we all just saw her laid out, Clark. We know what she looked like. What did she do? See, she just stood there, not saying a word and listening to the spokesman tell her why we were there and what was required of her. I remember when he stopped. We all sat there waiting for a reply. It took so long and it was so quiet that when she finally did speak, I remember the exact words she said. I have no taxes in Jefferson. Colonel Satoris explained it to me. Perhaps one of you can gain access to the city records and satisfy yourselves. Well, we tried to explain that we had done that, and we were the city authorities. We told her we had nothing on the books about her tax remissions officially, but all she did was cut in with, See, Colonel Satoris, I have no taxes in Jefferson, over and over again. And then she had her manservant show us out before anyone could object. <laughs> 
Vanquished, I see. That doesn't surprise me at all. Miss Emily was never budged before. <laughs> we couldn't get a word in edgewise, let alone explain that Colonel Satoris had been dead for nearly ten years by that time. So you didn't try again? Well, what could we do? Each December, we sent her a tax notice, which would be returned by the post office a week later, unclaimed. Wow. You know, I'd heard that she also refused to let them put a mailbox on her house and put her address above her door. That was Emily Grierson for you. Stuck in her ways. <laughs> Shame to hear your generation of aldermen did little better than mine, Clark. She thwarted you like she thwarted us 40 years ago. About the smell. What smell? Bad smell coming from Miss Emily's place. Well, now you've got me curious, Mr. Kirkwell. Well, it's an odd story, to be sure, and one I was in the thick of. It was uh, two years after Miss Emily's father passed, and a short time after her sweetheart, the one we believe would marry her, had deserted her. Do I overhear some talk about Miss Emily's sordid past? Oh, that you do, Mrs. Price, that you do. These two young'uns didn't know the story of the smell. Oh, yes, I remember that business. The whole town was whispering about it. Say, I hope you don't mind if I join your conversation, do you? No, of not at all. Not. Be my guest. Figure you could also offer some female perspective from that time. Much obliged. All I meant to add was that after her father's death, Miss Emily went out very little. After her sweetheart went away, people hardly saw her at all. Some of the ladies tried to call on her, but only sign of life was her Negro going in and out with his market basket. We weren't surprised when the smell developed. Just as if a man can keep a kitchen proper. <laughs> well, sir, the first person to complain about it was a neighbor, a woman. She demanded that Judge Stevens, now he was the mayor then, she demanded that he find a way to stop it, send word or something. Now, Judge Stevens, <laughs> he figured it was nothing to worry about, assumed it was some snake or rat that Negro of hers had killed in the yard. Huh. But then the next day, he received two more complaints and was further urged to do something about it. That night, the board of aldermen met, Three old gray beards and me. <laughs> all young and spry. Oh, don't laugh, Clark. I see you smirking. I have no idea what you mean, Mr. Kirkwell. Please continue. It was a simple enough solution I suggested. Send her word to have her place cleaned up. Give her a certain time to do it in. And if she don't, we take action. Now, this didn't sit well with Judge Stevens. He said, damn it, sir, will you accuse a lady to her face of smelling bad? A fair point. <sighs> I still think my solution had more dignity than what was ultimately settled on. The next night, the four of us crossed Miss Emily's lawn and slunk about the house like burglars, <laughs> sniffing along the base of the brickwork and at the cellar openings, while one of us, and I won't say who, but one of us, sewed lime out of a sack slung from his shoulder. We broke open the cellar door and sprinkled lime there, and in all the outbuildings. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It was, but if you've been in the midst of that smell, you would have done it too. It was awful. Not even sure how to describe it. But then I, I understood the complaints. 
and it seemed to be just about everywhere, too, hanging about the property like a fog. But as we recrossed that lawn, a window that had been dark was suddenly lighted. And there was Miss Emily, the light behind her, and her upright torso motionless as that of an idol. Damn near gave me chills. Did she see you? Hard to say. But we worried we'd been caught in the act, so we hurried away as quiet as you could. <laughs> if she did spot us, she never said anything. And after a week or two, smell went away. That's all pretty strange. I wonder what caused it. Who knows? That was when people had begun to feel really sorry for her. People in our town, remembering how old Lady Wyatt, her great aunt, had gone completely crazy at last, believed that the Grierson's held themselves a little too high for what they really were. None of the young men were quite good enough for Miss Emily and such. Something her father drilled into her, no doubt. No doubt at all. So when she got to be 30 and was still single, we were not pleased, exactly, but vindicated. Even with insanity in the family, she wouldn't have turned down all of her chances if they had really materialized. When you say we, Mrs. Price... Huh. Gossips, all of you, huh? You're one to talk, you old fogey. Everyone knew the high and mighty Grierson mentality, and the whole town understood that it couldn't last. When her father died, it got about that the house was all that was left to her. And in a way, people were glad. At last, we could pity Miss Emily. Being left alone and a pauper, she had, she had become humanized. Now she too would know the old thrill and the old despair of a penny more or less. Interesting. Of course, Mrs. Price, do you remember how she reacted when her father died? It was awful. The day after his death, all the ladies prepared to call at the house and offer condolence and aid, as is our custom. Miss Emily met us at the door, dressed as usual and with no trace of grief on her face. She told us that her father was not dead. No, really? She did that for three days, with the ministers calling on her and the doctors trying to persuade her to let them dispose of the body. Just as we were about to resort to law and force, she broke down, and they buried her father quickly. We did not say she was crazy then. We believed she had to do that. We remembered all the young men her father had driven away, and we know that with nothing left, she would have to cling to that which had robbed her, as people will. Now that's just depressing. I never knew, poor Emily. You both mentioned she had a sweetheart, though, so surely things got better for a time. <sighs> I suppose they did. But it's hard to say exactly what happened there. She was sick for a long time, and when we saw her again, she'd cut her hair short, making her look like a girl. Now, at about the same time, the town had just made contracts for paving the sidewalks, and in the summer after her father's death, they began to work. The construction company came with Negroes, mules, and machinery, and a foreman named Homer Barron. Oh, yes, that Homer Barron. Hmm, he was a Yankee. Big man with a big voice. I remember little boys would follow him around to hear him cuss at the workmen. <laughs> now, 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 pretty soon, he knew 
everybody in town. Whenever you heard a lot of laughing anywhere about the square, Homer Barron would be in the center of the group. <laughs> ah, yes. Pretty soon we began to see him and Miss Emily on Sunday afternoons driving in the yellow wheel buggy and the matched team of bays from the livery stable. That must have got the ladies chattering, didn't it? Not that we men folk didn't, but... <laughs> <laughs> you and your assumptions. The whole town had a thing or two to say about it. At first, we were glad that Miss Emily would have an interest, because the ladies all said, of course a Grilson would not think seriously of a northerner, a day laborer. But there were still others, older people, who said that even grief could not cause a real lady to forget noblesse oblige. Without calling it noblesse oblige, <laughs> they just said, poor Emily, her kinsfolk should come to her. I knew she had cousins. Those two elderly women we saw at the funeral, was that them? Yep, there's no mistaking them. They're from Alabama, as I recall. Back then, there'd been a falling out between that part of the family and Miss Emily's father over the estate of old Lady Wyatt. <laughs> so when the older folks started whispering about it, it wasn't long before everyone was talking about it, too. Always, poor Emily, poor Emily, when they saw her and Homer Baron out on a Sunday drive. And the thing was... She still carried her head high enough, even when we all felt she had fallen. She was the last Grierson, after all, and it was like she demanded we recognize her dignity. She was still impervious. Oh, like that time she bought the rat poison. <laughs> oh, 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 the rat poison. I remember that story, Mrs. Price. Rat poison? I hadn't heard. Oh, yes, it was very queer business. My late husband sold her some arsenic back around the time her cousins were staying with her. Wait, when did her cousins come to stay? It was a year or so after the poor Emily started. See, the thing is... Now, hold on one second. I want to know about the poison. <laughs> I, I, can only I can only tell one thing at a time. Please, please. No, no, no. Calm yourself. We can talk about the cousins once you finish your story, ma'am. Right. Please carry on. I just wanted to know why her cousins were there. I'll get to that in a moment, dear. But yes, the poison... At the time, my Abel was the only druggist in Jefferson. The way he told it, one afternoon, Miss Emily came into the shop and flatly asked him for poison. He asked her if she wanted it for rats and such, and she replied that she wanted the best he had. She didn't care what kind. Well, Abel listed off a few, but she cut him off and asked if he had arsenic and if it was good. He said it was, and she told him that that's what she wanted. But what does she want it for? She wouldn't say. Abel told her the law required she say what she planned to do with the poison, but she stood and stared him in the eye and said nothing, until finally he wrapped up a box and gave it to her. Ooh, I don't blame him for folding. She used to do that to me sometimes when I asked questions during the painting lessons. Oh, yes, and she had a look like that when we called on her a decade ago. The Grierson glare. Yep. That Grierson glare. <laughs> the Grierson glare. Oh, that's not bad. Surprised none of us old folks ever thought of a name for it back in our day. <laughs> it wasn't funny at the time. Oh, poor Abel was worried. He just sold Miss Emily a means to kill herself. And it kept him awake all that night. 
He was so concerned that he wrote four rats on the box. <laughs> oh, like that would stop her. I believed it too, considering what was happening. Sad thing is, when word got out, many of us thought it might be the best thing. Did that have to do with her cousins or with Homer Barrett? Both. Like I started to say earlier, before that, we had all figured she was going to marry Homer Barron. If I may, Homer Barron was a fellow that enjoyed drinking and talking with other men. And he said on more than one occasion that he wasn't a marrying man. But we held hope that she would persuade him yet. It wasn't until they had been seen out together for almost a year like this, and there was no sign of a marriage that us folks suspected a scandal. Hence, poor Emily. Hmm. Things certainly have changed. Exactly. Then some of the ladies began to say that it was a disgrace to the town and a bad example to the young people. The men didn't want to interfere, but at last the ladies forced the Baptist minister, Miss Emily's people were Episcopal, to call upon her. He never said what happened during that interview, but he refused to go back again. And there they were again next Sunday, right on schedule, driving around the streets. The minister's wife wrote to Miss Emily's relations in Alabama the next day, and that was how the long silence between the family was broken. Her cousins were there within the month and stayed for a long time. Ah, I see now. The idea was for them to come and talk sense into her, I guess? Who knows? Truth be told... Nothing happened for a while. Though it should be said that those two were even more grierson than Miss Emily had ever been. I didn't think that was possible. It was really awful. And a lot of us felt bad that these women had been brought upon Miss Emily. Or on us, for that matter. They must have had some effect, though. Because we learned that Miss Emily had been to the jewelers and ordered a man's toilet set in silver with the letters H.B. on each piece. Two days later, we learned that she had bought a complete outfit of men's clothing, including a nightshirt. So, we figured they were married and we were glad of it. <laughs> so we weren't surprised when the streets were finished and Homer Baron was gone. We were a little disappointed that there wasn't a public blowing off, but we believed that he'd gone on to prepare for Miss Emily's coming, or to give her a chance to get rid of the cousins. By then, we were all Miss Emily's allies to help circumvent her cousins. <laughs> but he didn't come back, did he? Actually, no. We all expected him to return. Sure enough, after another week, the cousins departed, and within three days, just like we knew, Homer Barron was back in town. A neighbor saw the Negro man admit him at the kitchen door at dusk one evening. And that was the last anyone saw of Homer Barron. Really? No one knows what happened after that? Nope. It's truly sad, though, because after that, Miss Emily rarely, if ever, left the house. And pretty soon, not at all. We'd see that manservant of hers around town, but Miss Emily remained shut in. That's right. I know plenty of people that tried to get an answer out of that Negro, but he never spoke to anyone. I'm not even sure if anybody knew his name apart from Miss Emily. I know he's not around anymore either. He met the first ladies to hear about Miss Emily's passing at the door, let them in, and then walked out the back door and away. 
No one's seen him since. I'm surprised anyone knew that she died at all. He must have told somebody when it happened, or we might not have even found out. I mean, we didn't even know she was sick. Well, I tell you, people would see her at a downstairs window from time to time in the last couple decades. And I heard they found her body in a bed downstairs. Because evidently she closed off the top floor of the house. I always thought it was her father's influence hovering over her, refusing to let her truly live even long after his death. Real shame. A real shame. It really is. And a real puzzle, too. I mean, has anyone been upstairs in 40 years besides Miss Emily? Oh, not likely. But she's decently in the ground now, so I suspect we'll find out soon enough. Seems a mite rude to me to want to break into things so quickly. Curiosity knows no bounds, Mr. Kirkwell. Besides, I think after all that time having Miss Emily as a civic duty, Jefferson deserves a chance to know what's what. I agree. In fact, it looks like the crowd's moving now. Someone must have given the okay to move into the house. Then let's go. I don't want to miss this. This place still gives me the wheelies. It looks like a haunted house. Shh, don't say that. You'll jinx it. It's a good thing the entire funeral didn't come, though. Else, we wouldn't all make it inside. Well, sure, I don't think all of us are going to fit up the stairs at once, though. All right, step aside. Let your elders through. Mr. Kirkwell? Here now, Emmett, what's with this door? That's the thing, sir. It's being sealed. I'm trying to force it. Yeah, let me help. Oh, dear God. What? I can't see. Quick, keep the woman back. Or... (gasps) What is that? I do believe that is... Or was Homer Baron. How can you be sure? It's it's hard to tell where the corpse ends and the bed begins. I'm gonna be sick. Clark, what are you doing? Jesus Christ! Don't touch it! I'm not, I'm not. Look, look. There's an indent of a head in the pillow beside him. What? What is that? What did you pick up? It's a hair. An iron gray hair. They say love conquers all, but death ultimately conquers even love. It is not to say, though, that death has stopped us from carrying out our nightly work. We leave you now, but do not fear, intrepid listeners. We will never be far from you if you need us. Until next we convene, pleasant dreams. <laughs> Mr. 
Midnight Marinera is a bi-monthly podcast written, produced, directed, and mixed by David King. This episode features the voice talents of Matt Hawley, Rose Sarushian, Darren DePaul, and Layla Burzins. You can check out more of Darren's voiceover work at darrendepaul.com or follow his Twitter at darrendepaul. And you can find Layla Burzins' work at laylaburzins.com. You can also check out her voiceover tidbits newsletter. A Rose for Emily is adapted from the original short story by William Faulkner. Comments? Suggestions? Kind hearts and coronets? Please feel free to leave feedback wherever you listen to this. Email us at midnightmarinera at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter or Tumblr. And hey, if you want to contribute a little something to the show and feel a fleeting sensation of euphoria, followed by the unmistakable feeling that you are being watched, consider becoming a patron and supporting Midnight Marinera's Patreon page with a small monthly donation. Special thanks to recent VIP M. Maciel for her generous donation this month, and thank you for listening.